Can you guys hear me okay? All right. I am so excited. Are you guys excited this morning? Do you guys, who, who got a good night's sleep last night? Man, is that true? Is that really true? Oh, my goodness. There are so many places that you could have gone this morning or not gone at all. You could have just stayed home. You could have watched TV, but you decided to come to church. I think you chose wisely. How many think that you chose the, the right thing? Are you guys, yeah? Oh, good. People are excited. That's good. I think we should get excited. Um, I, I think that when we come to church, sometimes we come back and we come and we just want to sit and we just want to relax because it's our normal mode. But I think when we come to church, we've got to be ready to work because this is where we come to change, right? We really want to change. And so how many are ready this morning to really hear, not from me, I appreciate the introduction, I do, because Jeff is my friend as well, and, and I love him so much. Um, but how many are, are really ready to hear from the Lord? You really want to hear from the Word. If you're ready, if you're ready to hear from the Lord, raise your hand and say yes. yes. All right, everyone stand up with me for a second. Everyone stand up. And I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to say, listen up. Yeah. I, I want you to tell them, you really need to hear this. Uh, and then I want you to turn to the, the person on the other side, and I want you to say, I find you so attractive. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You don't. Some of you, all right, have a seat. Some of you are getting way too into that, okay? You're very, I think that, listen, we should be able to have a good time at church, don't you think? I mean, I was listening to those songs and we think about how that God has defeated the grave, right? I mean, we have this wonderful hope and this wonderful promise that no matter how bad life gets, because it gets pretty awful sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, we don't have to deny that. That's the beauty of Christianity. We don't have to escape. Uh, that's what the world has to do. That's the reason why they have TV and ice cream. It's because they have to escape. But we don't have to. We can look at life right in the face because no matter how bad it gets, and we don't deny that it gets bad, but no matter how bad it gets, it's always going to turn out well for us. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, that should just make you laugh all the time. If anybody in the world should be having a good time, it should be Christians. And sometimes we're the saddest people on the planet because we think that if we're somber, then we're more spiritual, right? And there is a kind of happiness that can make you serious. I'm not saying that we have to be silly all the time, but man, we should have joy. Isn't that one of the number one signs of the Holy Spirit in your life? is that you have real joy. So I hope that you are in a place this morning where you are ready to do some work, where you're ready to get in and listen to what God has to say, and you really want to make some changes. You really want to make those decisions. We call our church Crossroads Baptist Church, and the reason why we call our church that is because that is what Christianity is filled with. It is filled with those moments when you come to the crossroads and you have to make a choice. When you first came to Jesus, you had to make a choice. 
if you were going to trust him or if you were not going to. Whenever you got into discipleship and they started teaching you and you got through salvation lesson and eternal security lesson and you're doing really good and then some of you got to the baptism lesson and you were like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. You came to a crossroads, you had to decide, am I going to obey or am I going to not? And discipleship always does that. It, you, have you ever had a disciple, a disciple bail out on you? Anyone ever had that happen? Yeah, that doesn't mean that discipleship failed. That means that it worked. Because you brought them to the crossroads where they had to decide if they were going to be a disciple or if they were not going to be one. That's what it's intended to do. You know what, that's what church is supposed to do. When you came here this morning, you came to the crossroads. And this morning, you're going to have to make some decisions. So I hope that you're ready to work. How many are ready to work? If you're ready to work, raise your hand and say yes. yes. Oh, awesome. Absolutely awesome. And let me just say, before we jump in, uh, how thankful I am to Pastor Jeff. Uh, because uh, he has been such a friend to me. And it is wonderful for me to be here uh, this weekend. Uh, my family, they're in Springfield, Missouri right now. Uh, they're seeing, it's been about three years since my wife's seen her family. And um, they're seeing family right now. And it's such a wonderful gift uh, to us uh, and to them to be able to do that. And my son, uh, Stefan, he's six now. And uh, the last time he was here, he was three. So I was just talking to Bobby this morning. Where's Bobby at? There she is. Wonderful. I love Bobby. And uh, I was telling her that this is the first time in Stefan's life that he's been able to have a real face-to-face conversation with his grandparents. And uh, because the last time he's here was three, and when you're three, you don't, you know, you don't make any sense. You know, you just... And he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't remember anything. But now he's able to really engage with his grandma and his grandpa and with his cousins. And it's just been wonderful. And so uh, they're all there doing that. And I said, well, while you're doing that, I'm going to skip up to New Philly and spend the weekend. And uh, Jeff was so gracious to have me come. And uh, I, I don't know. One of the great things about the work that I do, I don't know if you're able to appreciate it the way that I am. But in the work that I do, I'm able to go to countries all over the world. I'm able to travel. Uh, in fact, uh, your pastor actually hooked me up with one of my greatest trips was to Albania. I got to go to Albania and I got to preach a conference at the church that he started there in Albania. And that was wonderful. Great coffee there, by the way. It was wonderful. I, I drank them all day long. I mean, I was just constantly drinking those little tiny ones and you put the sugar in there and uh, it was wonderful. When I preached, my messages were like 15 minutes long because I was just so <laughs> jacked up on coffee, you know, and uh, it was great. And, uh, but I get to go to all different kinds of places and I've grown up in church all of my life and I've met a lot of pastors and I want you to know that you guys really have a good one. And I don't know, yeah. It's so, it's so easy sometimes to not appreciate it. It's like with my wife, how awesome she is every single day. And her awesomeness every single day beside me becomes normal. And sometimes I miss it. Don't you miss it sometimes with your spouse? Because they may be awesome, but when you see awesome every day, it just becomes normal. And see, so that's what happens with you guys is because you guys get awesome every Sunday. And so it becomes normal. And so I just wanted to remind you that you guys have a pastor that really believes this book. And all he wants to do is just preach this book, and he wants to make disciples who believe this book and teach this book. And uh, that is becoming, sadly, so rare today. 
And it is such an encouragement to me and my wife when we're over there and we're trying to stay by the stuff in the middle of a culture that wants nothing to do with it. And so when we're over there and we feel all by ourselves, it is such an encouragement to us whenever we look back and I get to talk to Jeff on the phone or even if I just think about him while I'm having my coffee and to know that he is staying by the stuff here in the United States, that is an encouragement to us. So thanks, Jeff, for not just for allowing me to come and uh, sleep in the bed with you and Erla, but, uh, uh, but also, but also for staying by the stuff, you know, for being a great friend and for being a great pastor. I really appreciate that. Um, so you guys ready? You ready to get your Bibles out? All right, listen, let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, Lord, I pray that you please help us this morning Help us to be willing to come to that crossroads and make those choices. Help us, Lord, to be willing to listen, to be engaged. And please teach us, Lord. We cannot, we cannot understand this or discern any of it without the power of your Holy Spirit teaching us through your word. Please help us to do this, Lord. I pray that above all else, whatever happens, whether we make a decision or not, uh, whether this sermon is good or not, whether uh, we have fun or not, I pray, Lord, uh, all of that aside, that your son, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up, that his name would be glorified. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We've been going through a series in Acts... And uh, we've been able to look at a lot of wonderful things in that book. And right now we're in kind of the second section of the book of Acts. We're slowly coming uh, back home in London. We're going to be going into chapter 10 when I get back. And um, this particular section, uh, as you know, Bible students, the book of Acts is divided up into three, real, three sections. You have the first section, which is really chapters 1 through 7. That's when the church is started in Acts chapter 1 through 7. It's all in Jerusalem. Right Then uh, the next section is Acts chapter 8 through 13, uh, uh, or, or really chapter 12, whenever the church is scattered uh, throughout Judea and Samaria. And then in chapter 13 through the end of it, that's when you see the very first missionary sent out in Acts 13, and that's when the church is sent to the uttermost. And the whole book kind of divides itself up that way. And back home, we're in the second section where the church is scattered. And in that section, we get to zoom in on into particular ministries of individuals. And we get to see, first off, we get to see Philip, that evangelist. And he comes and he sees Simon the sorcerer. Uh, I called that message the magic man. He meets Simon the sorcerer. And this guy, we get to see a, kind of a confrontation between a false gospel and a real gospel. But then he goes from there down to the desert and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch, right? You know that story? It's a great story. It's a wonderful story about how to be a great fisher of men. And he gets to meet the Ethiopian eunuch who was the chief financial officer of Ethiopia. I call him the money man. And uh, he meets him and you get to see a wonderful lesson there. And then right after that, we see the ministry of the apostle Paul get started. That's where Paul is converted on the road to Damascus. And I naturally call him the missionary man because he is our example of a missionary. And then right after that, as we're going to see today, we see, uh, we kind of jump back into the ministry of Peter. And we get to zoom in on his individual ministry. And I call Peter the miracle man because this guy, his life is filled with miracles. 
I mean, this guy is the head of the church in Jerusalem, and he's constantly, we see him in Acts chapter 3. He goes up to that man there by the gate of the temple, and he's uh, crippled, been crippled all of his life for many years, for at least 40 years, it says that he's there, and he says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto you. He says, I want you to rise up and walk. And Peter's ministry is constantly characterized by miracles. And it's wonderful to be able to see that. So much so that it says that people came in from the outside suburbs and the villages around and they would bring the sick hoping that if, if nothing else, that the shadow of Peter would just pass by the sick and they would be healed. His whole ministry is one filled with miracles. And in this particular passage, as you see in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 32, uh, we see two more great miracles that Peter performs. Now, we don't necessarily have the ability to do that. I'm not an apostle. I hope that you're not either because uh, they're not around. We live in a different dispensation now. These apostles were there and these sign gifts were given to them to show us that they were the messengers of Christ to give us that doctrine upon which the entire church was built. And I don't have the ability to tell someone to just rise up and walk. And guess what? Uh, No one else does either. Okay. But I don't have that ability to do that. Only God can do that. Peter was able to tell someone, you rise up and walk, and they could do it. He had a supernatural gift, and I may not have that kind of gift, but I want to have a miraculous ministry, though. I want to have a miraculous life. I believe God still does miracles, and even though I might not be able to tell someone to rise up and walk, but I have the ability through the Spirit, Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ to be able to invest in someone's life and to see them walk with Christ. I have the ability to invest in someone's life and to see their life changed forever. And you have that ability too. We may not have the ability to miraculously raise someone from the dead, as we'll see here in just a a little bit, but you do have the ability to share the gospel with someone and see them raised from death to life in Jesus Christ. And listen, that is nothing short of a miracle. Whenever you get to share the gospel with someone and you see the lights come on and you know the Holy Spirit has opened their eyes and they accept Jesus Christ, that is a miraculous thing. I hope that what all of you want, like what I want, is to be able to have a miraculous ministry, a miraculous personal ministry. Would you like to have that? I know that I would. I don't want my life to just be wasted. I want, whenever I get to the end of my life, I want to be able to look back and think, you know what, that was a life spent in a miraculous way, in a wonderful way. And I think we can get some tips as to how to do that through Peter. But before I get in and show you, I'm going to show you six things of how that you can have this kind of miraculous ministry. But before I get into that, I have to make a confession. Um, this is church, after all. Um, so whenever I was uh, in high school, um, I played in the band, the school band. Did anybody else play in the school band? Now, we know when you raise your hand to keep them up and just, yeah, help me, identify with me, okay? Because you know that when we're in the school band, that means uh, no dates, right? <laughs> yeah, I know it hurts in high school. And even more so for me, because my father convinced me to play the trombone. And so 
uh, you are getting no dates when you play the trombone. You got any trombone players out there? Because you guys can relate. Yeah, see, there's none. Because uh, no one wants to play the trombone. Right? Oh, there you are. Hey! Listen, hey, the good news is I married a beautiful woman. So, ha, 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 Woo! The joke's on them. All right, so, uh, so there's hope for us, man, okay? Uh, well, so I was playing the trombone in the band, and I learned something really important in school band. Uh, and it was a terrible band, by the way. It was just a small little brass band, and it was, it was awful. And so as I was playing, I learned something really important, and I think it's something that can apply to us as a church, is that as a church, we are kind of like a band. See, all of us have individual instruments that we play. We all have our individual gifts, all have our personal ministry that we need to be engaged in. And if you don't have one, then I want you to have one, a way that you are able to minister to the body yourself individually. We all have a way that we can do that. We all have, in that sense, our own instrument to play. But what I learned when I was playing in the band is that if I don't like the sound of the band, then the best thing that I can do, the most immediate thing I can do, is improve the way that I play. That was the lesson I learned at the school band is that if I, if I think, man, we're just honking and squeaking all over the place, and it's just not that beautiful, and you know, we all have one sheet of music, and we're all supposed to be producing this beautiful sound together, like us. We all have our own individual instruments, and we're all supposed to be working together as one body, playing off the same sheet of music, Right? And we're all supposed to be doing that and working together, ministering together so that we can produce this wonderful and beautiful sound together. And sometimes when we come to church, we think, you know what, I don't really like how it sounds. I don't like how it sounds. But when those moments happen, the best thing that you can do, the most immediate thing you can do is to improve the way that you play. If you don't like the sound of the band, then you have to improve the way that you play as a participant. Let me tell you this. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. That one of the best ways that you can make your body, as your church body, stronger, one of the best ways that you can make your church body stronger is by improving the way that you minister as individuals. Making a determination this morning, I want you to make a decision this morning that I am going to find, if I don't already have it, I'm going to find a way that I can personally minister in this church body. And I want to show you a few ways that you can improve your personal ministry. I want to show you a way that starting today, you can improve the way that you play your instrument in this beautiful band. And if we all do that, Imagine if all of us can focus on how we minister as individuals. Can you imagine the kind of beautiful music that we can make together if we can do that? So there's a few things, a few things that we can learn from Peter. Let's start in verse 32. I want us to see what Peter, uh, what it says about his personal ministry, and we're going to take a few tips from that. It says, and it came to pass as Peter passed throughout all quarters that he came down also to the saints which were at Lydda. And there was found a certain man named Aeneas, and he kept his bed 
eight years, and he was sick of the palsy. Verse 34, it says, And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise, make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Saran saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, verse 36, there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which was by interpretation called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. And when they had washed and laid up her, her body in the upper chamber, and for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring that he would not delay and come to them. Verse 39, then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. Check this out. And all the widows stood by him weeping and showing him the coats and the garments that Dorcas had made when she was with them. But Peter put them all forth, he kneeled down, and he prayed. And he turned him to the body, and he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand, and he lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon the Tanner. See, right here, you get to zoom in and you get to see the personal ministry of one of the greatest believers in the first century church. The leader of the church in Jerusalem where it all started, the apostle Peter. And I think from his life, we can find some instruction as to how that we can improve the way that we play in this band. We find some instruction about how that we can improve our personal ministry starting right now. And the first thing that we see in his life, number one, is you have to, if you want to improve the way you minister personally, you have to be active. You have to be active in ministry. You got to be busy. If you see that, don't, you can't miss it. You can't pass over any of the words because they're all important. It says, it came to pass as Peter, verse 32, as he passed throughout all quarters, he came down to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Do you see that? It says, and it came to pass as Peter was passing through all quarters. You see, whenever Peter stumbled upon this opportunity to minister and to heal these people, you want to know the context of those miracles? The context of those miracles is that Peter was busy ministering when it happened. He was already in the middle of doing this. He was already in the middle of going through all quarters on his route to preach the gospel and to preach the Bible to the disciples. Do you see that? It came to pass as Peter passed through all quarters that he came down to the saints which had dwelt at Lydda. When we read this passage, we tend to focus on the miracles that he performed. But it's easy to pass over how that these miracles began. It began with Peter being busy in ministry. And that is what led him to the miraculous moments. Listen, if you will get busy right now with the mundane, then it will lead you to the miraculous. But you got to get busy right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, it's the very last verse in that chapter. It's one of my favorite verses, right? He says, you need to always be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, what? Man, that was sad, guys. Come on. 
Wait, that's the word that we hate, right? It's like when I talk to my kids, like, let's get some ice cream. They're like, yes. Like, let's go to the library. They're like, that's the word that we, we got to always be abounding in the work, always abounding. That's what we're supposed to be steadfast, unmovable in, always abounding in the work. Are you abounding in the work? Are you busy right where you are? We're always sitting. We have nowhere to sit on this stage. There's no chairs. But just imagine me sitting. Can you imagine? We're always sitting and wondering, man, I wonder what God wants to do with me. I wonder what kind of miraculous ministry that he wants to use me in. I wonder what big thing he wants to do in my life. And I promise you, it never starts that way. It starts with you doing the mundane. It starts with you setting up the chairs. The way that it started for me was uh, cleaning toilets. That's how my miraculous ministry started. I, got, I came to Kansas City Baptist Temple so many years ago because I wanted to get trained to be a minister. I'd already had four years of Bible college and managed to do that without learning the Bible. So I came to Kansas City Baptist Temple, and they were going to train me how to be a minister. And they, they, came, they came there, and they said, listen, we've been able to even find you guys jobs. They said to my wife, Mindy, we found a nice job for you at an engineering firm. Brian, we want you to be a janitor. I thought... That isn't real, that's not a real vote of confidence, right? Obviously, they knew that my wife was the smart one. So they gave me a job, and man, that's what I did all day long. I had my headphones on, and I'm cleaning the toilets, and I'm hoovering, and I'm setting up for meetings, and all the while, I've got my headphones on, and I would go into the tape room. They had cassette tapes back then, and I would take all the tapes from the ministries and the sermons, and I would listen to them every day. And I was just like a sponge, and I was just soaking up every bit of information about the Bible that I could. I, did, I found out later, actually, that that's um, stealing um, the tapes. But uh, they said, they gave me a pass. They said, that's okay. But I took, the, I took those, and I would just listen to them, and I also had the keys to the bookstore. So I would go in there, and I would read them all and put them back, you know. I put, I put those back. At least, uh, that's good. So I would read all those books, and then I put them back because I was a janitor, so I couldn't afford to buy them. Books are expensive. And so I was just soaking it all up. And I remember listening to this message one day where this guy was saying, listen, we're going to take a missions trip to London. And I thought, I've got to go on that trip. And I ran to him and I said, listen, Mark, you've got to take me on this trip. And he, was, he said, Brian, it's going to be really expensive, which is, was his nice way of saying, you're a janitor, right? <laughs> and... And I said, I don't care. I've, I've got to go on this trip. He said, okay. And when I stepped off the plane in London, that's when God said, this is the place for you. But it didn't start like that. It started with me cleaning the toilets. That's how it started. I promise you, if you will jump in right where you are, it will lead you to those miraculous moments. But we miss the miraculous moments because that's what we're looking for. But where you have to jump in is in the mundane. But we always sit back and we miss it because we're not willing to jump in and get busy right where we are. Listen, whenever God has this wonderful ministry for someone, he doesn't go over to the shelf and say, well, let me take this old dusty saint off the shelf and dust them off. It's about time that I use them. That's not what he does. Whenever he has a miraculous moment for someone, he finds a believer who is already right in the mainstream of God's will. 
Those are the ones that he uses, the ones who are already busy going through all quarters, preaching the word, ministering the word, setting up the chairs, working in jumpstart, all of that stuff, whatever that is. Whenever you get a chance to work in it and get busy in the mundane, that's where you jump in. And those are the people that God chooses to work in those miraculous moments. I promise you guys, if you will this morning decide to jump in and get busy where you are, that's what will lead you to those miraculous moments. And I also promise you this, that when it comes to your ministry life and your personal ministry, if God is number four or five on your list, then you are number four or five on his. Did you hear what I said? If God is number four or five on your list, then you are going to be number four or five on his. Just make a decision this morning that you're going to get active. Just jump in right where you are and get active. Now, number two, number two, if you want to improve your ministry, your personal ministry, not only do you need to be active, but it needs to be about Jesus. You need to be active, but it's got to be about Jesus. You see this in chapters, uh, verse 33 to 35, whenever he heals the man named Aeneas, this is what he says to him. He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. He says, arise, make your bed. He says in verse 35, all that dwelt at Lydda and Saran, they saw him and they turned to the Lord. This was always the point of Peter's ministry. The point of Peter's ministry was to turn people's eyes toward Jesus Christ. That was always the reason why he was doing all that he's doing. You need to ask yourself this morning, why are you doing what you are doing? Why are you engaged in the ministry? Why are you engaged in helping people and serving people? But you need to ask yourself this morning, why are you doing the things that you're doing? Many times when we get involved in ministry, when we get involved in church work, The reason why we do that is for all kinds of reasons. We do it because we want people to look at us. We have our own personal ambitions. There's things that we want to accomplish. We want our life to have meaning and purpose. We want someone to like us. Or we do it out of religious obligation or duty. And all of those kind of things. We have all kinds of reasons why it is that we do what we do. We do it because it's our culture. It's the way we were raised. We just think that that's what we're supposed to do. We have all kinds of reasons why we do it. But whenever we get involved in ministry, it has to be so that Jesus Christ can make someone whole. It has to be so that people will turn to Jesus Christ. Whenever the apostle Paul, whenever he was in Rome and he wrote to the church in Philippi, he said, listen, I'm getting ready to go on trial for my life. And I don't know necessarily how it's going to turn out. He says, but I'm okay with that. He says, because my only expectation, he said, you can read this in chapter one of Philippians. He says, my only expectation is that Jesus Christ will be magnified in my life, whether it be by my life or by my death. That has got to be your motivation for why you do what you do. The only motivation you have for your ministry has to be so that people can turn to Christ. Listen to me. Listen to me right now. If you are waiting, if you are waiting on people to recognize how much you're worth, you are in for a disappointment. 
because they never will. If you are waiting right now for people to recognize, man, you know, I've got all kinds of things to say, but they never asked me to speak. I've got great abilities, but for whatever reason, I'm not the one that gets chosen. Or I'm out here and I'm doing it every Sunday and no one notices. If you are waiting for someone to recognize how much you are worth, man, you know, I cook and clean all the time and he doesn't ever notice. How many wives feel like that this morning? Right? If you are waiting on people to recognize how much you are worth, and there's no question that you are worth. There's no question about that. But if you are waiting on people to recognize how much you are worth, then you are in for a disappointment. Because they won't. I'm sorry. I wish that I could give you all the positive thinking, but I'm not Joel Osteen. I don't preach like that. I just don't do it. I just can't do it. You know why? Because the Bible doesn't teach that. And besides, I just can't blink that much. Have you seen this guy? When he preaches? The guy, he just blinks like crazy. Every time I watch him, you know, then it's, uh, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. That's how you know that someone's not godly. If they blink that much, then they are not a biblical preacher. But the Bible doesn't teach that. Whenever Jesus Christ, after he spent three years investing himself into these men, giving every moment to these men, and in his moment of trial, where were they? Of all people to bail out on. You bail out on the Lord himself? They all left him. They all skinned out and ran, remember? That's what they will do to you. If you're hoping that, man, I'm going to invest in this church, I'm going to invest in this church because I know that when I need them, they'll be there for me. No, they won't. And they might be, but if you're counting on that, you're going to be disappointed. Whenever the Apostle Paul spent his life, his adult life, ministering to people, getting beaten half to death, he got beat out of Iconium, he got beat half to death, they thought he was dead. Remember? He got, in Philippi, he got like 40 stripes. It was even illegal, and they beat him half to death. But whenever he went to Rome and he stood trial, you saw in in Timothy chapter 4, he says, how many people stood with him? And no one stood with me, he said. Nobody stood with me. He says, but the Lord stood with me. All that time he spent investing in people. And what does Demas do? Demas is like, yeah, I love the world, man. So I'm going to Vegas. Sorry. And he bails out on them. It, you're, you've got to determine right now, if you want your personal ministry to be a miraculous one, you have got to make a decision. This is the crossroads this morning. You have got to make the choice that your ministering to people is going to be about Jesus It's not going to be about you. And I promise if you will do that, if you will make that decision, then you will never be disappointed. You will never be disappointed. It's got to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, 
If you want to improve your own personal ministry, then you need to not only be active in ministry, and it needs to be about Jesus, but you need to be available to people. Be available to people. You see what it says here. This is when he finishes there uh, in Lydda. And in verse 36, it says, And now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. Dorcas is the Greek word. It's translated very unfortunate name. That's what that's the translation for that. This woman was very, she was full of good deeds. And she was a wonderful lady and she passed away and everyone was so troubled. And you notice they didn't embalm her and bury her. It says that they washed her body and they put her in the upper chamber because they heard that Peter was close. See, Peter's the miracle man. He's the miracle man. And these guys, they heard that Peter was close. So maybe they can go up to Lydda and they can bring him down to Joppa. And hopefully, maybe Peter can heal her. Listen, as we already saw in the first, in verse 32, Peter is a busy man. He's a very, he's, he's busy going around preaching to people. You have to know that this is not Peter's only invitation. This is not his only invitation. We already said how they're bringing people out of the woodwork just so that hopefully his shadow can pass over them. He is a busy guy. If anyone could have made excuse for why he couldn't come, it would have been Peter. And they would have been okay with it. They would have understood. He could have told them, listen, guys, I've got a whole list of people to see. I've got a whole list of ministry things to do. I've got a whole list of house things to do. I've got a whole list of things to do. And you know what? He could have also told them, listen, this is part of life. Sometimes people die. And that's the hope we have in Christ is that that's not the end for us. And this lady, not only that, but she's a believer. She's better off. I mean, she was here knitting clothes for you all of her life, but now she's in heaven. And you guys want to call her back so she can knit some more? He could have, he could have made that case, <laughs> but he didn't. It just says that he just gets up and goes with them. I love that. I mean, a guy, as important as he is, I mean, he's, he's a rock star, man. As, as, as important as he is, as busy as he is, he had this demeanor about him that he was available. He was available. You know, we miss out on some opportunities because we are so busy. We all, man, that's, that's so true, isn't it? We're so busy. It was so nice this morning when I got ready for church um, because uh, I just had to get myself ready. Well, Actually, that's what I do every Sunday morning. I just get myself ready. My wife gets the four kids ready. I say that I get the four kids ready, but we know what that means, guys. That means that we get up and we get ourselves ready, and your wife gets all the kids ready. Isn't that how it goes? I'm in there fixing coffee, you know, and she's grabbing the bags, and she's throwing the kids into the car, and uh, she's putting their shoes on and all that stuff, and I come out and I say, man, we've got to hurry. And she just looks at me like... <laughs> she's like, I, I am going to cut you in your sleep. Because, and we, we, but we are busy, aren't we? How many, how many would say that you're busy? Raise your hand and say yes. Man, you guys are just losing steam. Are you guys ready to work? You're gonna have, let's stand up again, okay? Everybody stand up again. We gotta get the blood flowing. We got three more points. Come on, <laughs> let's get excited about these points, all right? Everyone look at your neighbor and say, man, I'm busy, 
All right, go ahead and sit down. <clears throat> now let me, let me let you in on a little revelation. You're really not that busy. See, we're busy, okay, but the stats tell us that on the average, people watch about three hours of Netflix a night. Hello? Anybody want to join that club? Yeah. I mean, that's what we do, right? We put the kids to bed, then we grab our mobile device, we turn on Netflix, and we fall asleep. That's what people do. And people are watching hours of television. People are on social media for hours a day. Hours. Where's the students at? Yeah? They say the average student spends roughly four hours on social media every day. Isn't that amazing? I just made that statistic up, by the way. <laughs> but you know it's true, right? We spend all this time, and then we, th we say, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so, I say that to my wife all the time. I'm so overwhelmed. And she's like, Brian, the only person in your way is you. And I'm like, that is not sweet. <laughs> That's not nice. You're supposed to be supportive, not tell me the truth. <laughs> and she tells me, man, listen, you, you are busy, but it's because you're doing all the wrong stuff. Sometimes we are busy, Okay especially you moms, I know you get busy. And, but we need to also sometimes reprioritize because we miss out on opportunities. We miss out on those miraculous moments sometimes because we are not available for people. We just can't be there, we can't do it, we can't make it to the meeting, we can't make it to the Bible study, we can't help out in that ministry, we can't come over to that person's house, we can't make that phone call, we can't go and see them kind of unannounced and just drop in to say hello. We can't do those kind of things that could possibly lead to those miraculous moments because we are so jam-packed with all of our stuff that we are just not available to people. Listen, if you want to have a miraculous ministry, if you want to be able to be engaged and see that your life transformed from the mundane to the miraculous, then you have not only got to be active and be about Jesus, but you have got to be available. Make a determination today that I am going to be responsible with my responsibilities, but I am going to be available to people. Number four, be asking in prayer. Be asking in prayer. You see in verse 40, verse 41, it says that Peter put them all forth and he knelt down and he prayed. Now, this is so unbelievable. You cannot miss this part because I know this just washes over us because we think, okay, I'm a Christian. I know we're supposed to pray and we hear that all the time. That's where the power's at and we understand and you know, prayer is so important. We got to pray, pray, pray all the time and we hear it and we just miss it. But the apostle Peter this guy, this is not the first time that he has healed someone. This is like everyday stuff for him. For us, it's like blow our face off. It's just exciting. We're so, it's just amazing. We cannot believe that a woman was raised from the dead. But with Peter, you almost imagine he's kind of half yawning when he does this. Because he's seen so many people healed and he has the power to do it. So this is like everyday stuff for him. And he could have come in and said, look, uh, Tabitha, uh, listen, I got places to be, man. I, I, I really, I got a lot to do, so come on, get up now. Let's go. They say, here you go. Here's the lady. She can sell you some more clothes. I got to go. 
I got to get out, you know, and he could have come in and he could have just gone through the machinery. And we do that sometimes in our ministries. We get up to teach or we go to minister in our class or we go to that meeting or we come to church on Sunday morning and we're just going through, right? We're just going through the mechanics of it because it's the everyday stuff. And we think, man, this is just Sunday morning. I'm just coming to church. There's nothing miraculous about that. But what Peter did changed everything. And it teaches us something that even a man who has this great power and even this man who he does the miraculous every single day, whenever he walked into that room, even though he knew he had the gift, he still took the time to kneel down and to pray. He still remembered that he was totally dependent upon the grace of God to make that thing happen. Can you imagine if that was true in our life, even in those everyday things for you, those everyday things can become miraculous moments if you would take the time to kneel down and really connect with your heavenly father and really be totally dependent upon him. And you kneel down and you say, you know what, Father, I know that this is just everyday stuff. I know that I go to church every single Sunday and I drop the kids off and then I go and I find my place in the pew and I sit there and we sing some songs, you know, and then we have church and it's everyday stuff. But Lord, I am totally dependent upon you. I want you to speak to me today. I want you to do something in my life today. I want you to give me the opportunity to minister to someone else. I want you to speak and give me a word this morning. I want you to take the mundane and make it miraculous because I can't understand anything unless you reveal it to me. Coming in an attitude of total dependence upon the Lord can change that mundane moment into something miraculous. And whenever we minister, we have to be totally dependent upon him. Can I tell you a story? Man, we're, I'm just moving along. I'm so sorry. Are you guys tired? Do you want to keep, can we keep going for just a few more minutes? Okay. There's uh, this wonderful uh, church in London called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It was the church where a man by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, pastored. And this guy is known as being one of the greatest preachers in the modern day. This guy was an amazing preacher. In fact, he, he had such a miraculous ministry, he had to tell the people that in his church that seated thousands and thousands, he had to tell his church people to stay home sometimes on Sunday night so that he could get all the lost people into the building so that he could preach to them. Is that amazing or what? I mean, packing thousands of people in there that were lost just so they could hear this guy preach. Well, there was a couple of young men, they really wanted to see the Met Tab. They thought, this is great. Now, this is a long time ago, but they wanted to see it, and they come walking up, and they're early, and the doors are locked. And this old man, who was at least older than them, comes up, and he says to the young man, he says, oh, you're here for church? And they said, yeah. And he says, "Um, would you guys like to see the heating mechanism for this church? And they're thinking, no, Uh, not really. And they don't even know why he wants to show it to them. Maybe he's the one that installed the boiler. Maybe he's really proud of it. Maybe he's the maintenance guy. They don't know, but they're good British people, so they just smile and lie through their teeth. And they say, yes, we would love to see the heating mechanism. Can you please show it to us? So he takes them around the side, and he gets the keys, and he opens up the door, and he leads them through this little passage that kind of leads them down underneath the auditorium and underneath the stage. And he takes him up to this door and he unlocks it and he opens up this door and they walk inside and there are 700 people 
on their face praying before church has even started, before the doors are even opened. And he turns to the young men and he says, this is the heating mechanism for this church. And of course, that man turned out to be Spurgeon himself. He was the pastor and he had learned that he he wasn't a great preacher. It was because he had people that were devoted to prayer that God was able to work through him in a miraculous way. Man, we, we miss it, guys, because we are not totally dependent upon the Lord. And Peter reminds us that before those miraculous moments can happen, we've got to get on our face. We've got to get on our face and we have to pray and ask the Lord to please work through us, beg him for his grace to work through you to see great change happen in someone's life. We know that James teaches us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, that Elias, it says, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. This guy, he says, James says, was a regular guy just like us. And he prayed and he stopped the rain because he prayed. Can you imagine what you could affect in your life? Don't we get so in despair sometimes because of that family member that nobody likes and that nobody can get along with and they are just a spur in your side and they ruin every Christmas because they are such a jerk And nobody can get along with them. You're all laughing because you have that family member, right? And you have that spouse that just won't seem to get with the program. Some of you are married to a 35-year-old man who is still concerned about his level on call of duty. (laughs) And you don't, and you're just like, I don't even know what to do. You do now. I am telling you, you want to know something that changes people is if you will devote yourself to prayer. That is what changes people. If you get on your face and you pray, you say, oh, I really love them. Do you love that husband? As he sits there with his, you know, mic on and talking to his buddies and you say, I love him. How long have you been praying for him? You say, he's been dropping the ball. Well, so have you. You've been dropping the ball too because you haven't prayed for him for even a second. Right? If we devote ourselves to prayer, I guarantee you miraculous things will happen. Number five, you need to always be aiming for fruit. I promise we're just about done. I'm gonna go through these last two really quick. We always need to be aiming for fruit. It says here in uh, chapter 9, verse 42, it says, And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Listen, this is what we want. We want fruit, don't we? We want our ministries, our personal ministries to be successful. We, whenever we minister, we want people's lives to be changed. We want to see people get saved. We want things to happen because we glory in that. We rejoice in that. And that's what we all want, right? But the thing I don't want you to miss about this passage is that all the fruit that we see in this particular passage is indirect fruit. All of it. 
whether he was up in Lydda or whenever he was down in Joppa, all of them, none of those people that believed in the Lord, they didn't believe in the Lord because they had a direct conversation with Peter. No, Peter went and he healed Aeneas, and then people heard the story. They heard the testimony of what had happened, and many, as a result, turned to the Lord. Whenever he was in Joppa and he healed Tabitha and he raised her from the dead, many people heard the story, and the other people that saw what happened, they spread the word about what had happened. And as a result, many people believed in the Lord. And I, what I want you to see this morning is that you may not think that that little thing that you're doing right now uh, amounts to anything, but you do not even realize that if you will just jump in right where you are, if you will just determine that I'm going to minister with what I have and do what I can, you will not even believe the kind of impact that you will have on people's lives. You don't even know the ripple effect that that has. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Whenever we go do our campaign in June, we had a man by the name of Tony Godfrey. He came over and brought a team, and he came out on the street with us, and we're out there sharing the gospel like some of you have done. And he went back home after his week in London, and he's exhausted and tired, and he wa he's walking down the street, and this businessman, this local businessman in Iola, Kansas, walks up to Tony, and he says, listen, Tony, I've been following you on Facebook, and I've been seeing the stuff that you're doing on the street with the red t-shirts and all of that stuff, and he's like, I want to talk to you some more about this stuff. He's a local businessman. He's lost. He's he just in their community. He happened to know Tony, happened to be friends with him on Facebook. Well, I take that and I go all the way back to my guys in London and I say to them, listen, you guys had no idea, did you? You had no idea that whenever you decided to get up and you're having that cup of Starbucks at 9.30 on a Saturday morning and you're going to walk out onto the high street so that you can get rejected for a couple hundred times, you thought that when you did that, that nobody saw you. You thought nobody noticed, you thought it didn't make a difference to anyone, and you had no idea that a, a local businessman in Iola, Kansas was watching you. And it made a difference in his life, and now he's having a conversation with Tony about the Lord, because you decided to be obedient right where you were. You have no idea if you will just decide this morning to be obedient with the mundane and be active right where you are to make it all about Jesus, to make yourself available for people, to be asking in prayer. You have no idea the ripple effect and the indirect fruit that can be brought to the Lord as a result. I want you to be aiming at fruit. I want you to always be aiming at fruit. But listen, the indirect fruit is amazing if you will just get busy right where you are. The last thing is you need to be accepting of everyone. And this is the last final thought, and then we're gonna be done. How many people are tired? You tired this morning? We don't have an evening service, do we? Right, so we all get to take a nap after this. So let's just hang on for one more second. You need the last thing is be accepting of everyone. Turn to your neighbor and say, listen, I accept you just as you are. I turn to the other person and say, I'm still not sure about you yet, though. <laughs> still got a few questions there. This is so easy to pass over in verse 43 because we go through these, we have these wonderful miracles that Peter performs, right? Heals this guy. He's got the palsy and then raises a lady from the dead. And then he finishes out the story in verse 43, by telling us what hotel he stayed in. Why do we care about that? 
Why is it that when Luke decided to record this, he tells us these wonderful miracles, and then he just finishes off the whole thing with, and it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon the Tanner. Why is that important? And you, you cannot miss the importance of why he recorded that. Does anyone know what a tanner is? Anybody know what a tanner is? This is someone who deals with the skins of the animals. So they're dealing with dead carcasses all day. So what does that make to a good law-abiding Jew? What does that mean to them legally? According to the law of God, that means that guy is, according to the temple, he is unclean. You want to talk, this is the guy in town that every Pharisee, every law-keeping Jew would have avoided. And not only that, but have you ever been by a tannery? This guy smells. He smells, I'm not kidding you, that, it smells in a tannery. Anyone ever been in one? It's awful. This guy smells bad, and he is considered unclean before a good Bible-believing Jew. And not only does he go in and shake his hand, he doesn't just shake the guy's hand and, and recognize him and try to be nice to him. No, Peter moves in, and it says he abided there many days. He could have stayed anywhere. But he stayed with the guy that was the, the one that everybody would have avoided, the one everyone wanted to stay away from. I think that really says so much about the kind of minister that Peter was. It would have been so easy for Peter to say, you know what, I'm going to stay away from that guy because that will make me unclean ceremonially unclean. I'm going to stay away from him. And you know what? We miss out on opportunities to minister to people. We miss out on miraculous moments because uh, we stay away from people that aren't quite like us. Do we do that? Right? It's okay. This is church. You can admit to it. We do that. We just want to minister to people like us, the people that like us, and the people that we like, and they dress like we dress, and we all watch the same TV shows, and we can go to Applebee's. It's, uh, it's wonderful. And we can all just sit there and minister to each other, and it's, it's great. But we miss out on those moments because there are some people that nobody wants to be around. There are those people that aren't like us. They don't look like us. They don't smell like us. They're not into the same things as us. And those are the people that we need to go and be totally accepting of those people, being willing to just not only shake their hand and just recognize them, hey, I love your brother on Sunday morning, but to be able to just move into their life and be there many days. That's where the miracles happen. I remember this guy I met on the street he was an old SAS officer. That's like the SEALs for, in Great Britain. And this guy, he's just alcoholic now. Life's falling apart. His wife wants nothing to do with him. He comes up to me. He's got this tank top on. He's just dirty, just reeks of booze, tattoos all over his body. And he comes and he just says, man, I, I need help. I sit down, I try to talk with him, and he's crying, and he's crying, and he's got snot coming out of his nose, and he's wiping it like this. It's all over his hands, and he, he takes my hand. 
So he says, I need to pray with you, man. I need someone to help. He's just bawling. I'm trying to share him, uh, with him the Bible. And whenever he squeezes my hand, you can hear the squish. <laughs> I'm not joking. You can hear the squish of the snot in our hands. And this guy, he, he is just absolutely broken. Now, and he, I mean, this guy was an absolute mess. I, I still see this guy to this day. He's got his life together. He's going to church almost every Sunday. His wife is just hanging on by a thread, you know. She's still staying with him. He's got a, he's got a job. He's still struggling with alcohol a little bit, but he's getting it under control. And he comes by and he checks in with me every once in a while. And he just, he just hugs me. He just tells me, man, thank you so much. He says, man, Jesus is everything to me. He says, without Jesus, man, I don't know where I'd be. But sometimes people are so gross. And we miss out on those opportunities to minister with someone because we don't want to be around the mess. But ministering to people, it's messy, guys. Ministering in people's lives is messy. And if you want to be involved in miraculous ministry, then you have to be willing to be involved in the mess. And we want it to always be neat and tidy. You know, drop off the groceries, ring the doorbell, and then we run. It's neat and tidy. I've ministered, I help someone, and I'm out. But ministering to people is not like that. If we want to have a miraculous ministry, then we have to be willing to be involved in the mess. One of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible is 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2. Can you turn there in your Bibles? Because I want you to see this verse as we close. 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 2. It says here, it says this is when David is on the run from Saul. Saul is trying to persecute him. He's trying to kill him. Whenever David, because he knows David's going to be king. And it says when he's, he's hiding out, it says in verse 2 of chapter 22 of verse 1 Samuel, it says, And everyone that was in distress... Everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented, they gathered themselves unto him and he became captain over them and there were about 400 men. I love it when the Bible alliterates. It makes my job so much easier. Do you see that? Everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented. How many would say that? I fall into one of those categories this morning, right? Are you in distress? Are you in debt? Hello. Are you discontented? These are the people that gathered themselves to David. And it says there was about 400. You know who these men became? They became David's mighty men. They became the very men that helped him rule the kingdom. These people that were the outcasts of the society. They came to David who was an outcast. They came to David who was on the run and they brought themselves unto David, a wonderful picture of Christ. If all of us who are distressed and in debt and discontented can come to Christ and we can rally around him and he can take us who are a mess and he can make us a mighty man of Christ. And that is what, that's the miraculous thing about ministry is that you can be involved in that to be able to jump into the mess of someone's distress. Man, that rhymed. I didn't even mean to do that. But you can jump right into the big mess of that and help someone be changed into a mighty soldier of Jesus Christ. 
Those are the kind of people that we want to have gather around us, the distressed, the indebted, the discontented. Now, let me ask you as we close here, okay? I just want you to think about this. What instrument do you play? What instrument do you play in this beautiful band? We've all got the same sheet of music. And imagine the beautiful sound that we could make the beautiful music that we can make. And the best way for us to strengthen our body as a whole is if we will strengthen the way that we minister as individuals. Can you think about what instrument you play today? And maybe you think, you know what? I don't even know what my gift is. I don't even know what ministry I can be involved in. Then that's your first step. Because all of this starts with number one, that is be active. You want, I need you to make a decision right now as you guys bow your heads and close your eyes, I want you to get alone with the Lord right now. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to get alone with the Lord right now, and I want you to make a decision. Remember what we said? Today is the day we come to do some work. Today is the day that we come, and we're going to do some work and make some choices. I want you to make the choice this morning that I am going to get active. I'm going to start with step number one. I'm going to get active right where I am, right with the mundane. It doesn't matter how small it is, how insignificant it may seem. I'm going to jump in and I'm going to get busy. And I'm going to let the Lord show me in the process of time what my instrument is that I can play in this band. Maybe you already know what your instrument is. Maybe you already know what your gift is, what your ministry is is this morning. Can you improve upon that? by making it about Jesus, by being available to people, by constantly asking in prayer, by, be, by aiming at fruit, by accepting everyone. I want you to make a decision this morning that I'm going to jump in and I'm going to be active because I promise you, if you will be active in ministry as individuals, then you will make us all stronger as a church. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I want to thank you so much.